Welcome to the St. Matt's 6pm podcast, where you can listen to sermons from our evening service. We are finishing our series on hard things to talk about tonight by talking about mental health. And to help us dig into the topic of mental health, we have one of our ministry trainees, the one, the only, Stephanie Ng. Hello. Hello, everyone. Lift out a word. Wonderful. You said it this morning. Did I really? Yeah, you did. Cool, okay. (laughs) Cool, we're off the book already. All right, we're fine. Okay, uh, Steph, before we dive into the Bible passage, into mental health, uh, some people here won't know you at all, uh, so let me ask some questions. How long have you been at St. Matt's? I've been here since 2015, so I've been here for about seven years now. I actually came to faith through youth group at this church. Awesome. Uh, you're a ministry trainee here, you're in your second year, uh, but aside from being at St. Matt's, which I know you love, aside from Jesus, your family, your friends, music and coffee, what are three things you love? Yes. Um, that's a lot of things, isn't it? Um, I've been obsessed with reading lately. I don't mean to boast. Oh. Um, but I've read 24 books so far this year. Whoa. Sorry. No, no, they're not impressed. Um, <laughs> I also love spending time with my neighbour's cat. Uh, it's their cat that she thinks she's our cat. Long story. Um, I also love making others laugh, even if it comes at my own expense. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Let's be real. All right. Okay. In your traineeship, uh, what have you most enjoyed and what have you been most stretched by? Yeah, I've loved a lot of things. Um, I've loved working in a really supportive team. Chris and Ron didn't pay me to say this. But I love it. It's truly, really encouraging. And seeing God work through me and through others to do his work, so cool. Um, but, yeah, something that I've found difficult amongst other things has been navigate, navigating my mental health struggles um, yeah, whilst also navigating a new job uh, and new uh, work responsibilities as well, and especially at times of high stress like Easter and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes people will go to great lengths to hide and keep those kind of struggles private, understandably so, but Steph has really bravely agreed to help kick off our conversation around mental health tonight by sharing some of our own story. So don't worry, we will get to the Bible, but first, Steph, uh, tell us about your own mental health journey. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, I just want to start off by acknowledging that what I'm about to share has been my own experience of mental illness, uh, and mental illness looks very different from person to person. Uh, But yes, during school, I was really involved in music. Uh, One day, though, in year nine, I suddenly felt very nauseous on the morning of a music performance. Uh, For a few months, I was in and out of the doctor's office trying to work out what was wrong with me, because I constantly had tummy troubles. I was later diagnosed with performance anxiety. Can you maybe, for people that aren't familiar, give a quick explanation of the difference between regular anxiety and an anxiety disorder? Yep. So everyone experiences anxiety. It's that feeling when you're confronted by something dangerous or stressful and your fight or flight response kicks in. Uh, Yep. So it's, you know, sweating and uh, your heart's racing, all that. But anxiety disorder is when this is prolonged and when the anxious feeling shows up in other non-threatening settings. So during my time with performance anxiety, 
I couldn't perform or even think about performing without wanting to vomit. Uh, and it was a lonely time because dialogue about mental illness wasn't really around much yet in 2013. But by the grace of a God that I didn't even know at that time, I got help from a psychologist and was very well supported by my family. And within a, week, a year or two, I was able to perform again. That's awesome. And fast forward to, to now, you're one of our church band leaders. Yeah. And I can play and sing and do this in front of people and only break into a small sweat. So it doesn't affect me anywhere near as much as it used to. So praise God. Mm. Um, Anyway, while at uni, my anxiety morphed more into generalised anxiety, which is when your anxiety doesn't seem to have a specific trigger. I would mull over anxious, negative thoughts like, how will I get this assignment done? Or in relationships, no one will ever like me. Or in life, I can't achieve this. What I remember from my uni days is that more often than not, I would just feel down or flat. Uh, I would have moments of happiness, but they wouldn't last very long. I was still seeing the same psychologist, and again, with support from her um, and from my family and friends, God graciously held me and carried me through those years. Unfortunately, the beginning of the pandemic really heightened my anxiety and throughout 2020, my mental health worsened. Then at the beginning of 2021, I had a stressful incident that triggered my first ever experience of OCD symptoms. Okay, so OCD might be something we sometimes joke about uh, when we want things a particular way, but it sounds like you're describing something more significant. Yeah, So OCD stands for Obsessive Compulsive Disorder, and OCD has a few components to it. The O represents uh, obsessive, intrusive thoughts, and they're called obsessions not because the sufferers enjoy thinking these thoughts, but because they repeatedly spend time thinking and rethinking thoughts on a certain theme or topic. They're intrusive, which means that these obsessive thoughts come into the mind without invitation and without being able to stop them. Uh, Everyone experiences intrusive thoughts, but for people with OCD, uh, it's like that thought becomes stuck. It doesn't go away. Uh, Instead, like a scratched record, that thought repeats and repeats and repeats. And this is what causes the distress and anxiety associated with OCD. A repeated, horrific, and often taboo thoughts that occur uncontrollably. And so in April 2021, that was where I was at. Uh, I had repeated intrusive thoughts about really distressing topics and it really broke me. I didn't know what was happening at the time, so I was condemned to silence, worried that if I spoke them out loud, people would run away from me frightened. Okay, so that's the obsessive side. Uh, What's the C in OCD? So C stands for the compulsions in OCD, and they're physical or mental rituals that decrease the distress of the obsessive thoughts. But the problem is that these compulsions actually reinforce the thoughts. It actually makes it worse in the long run. When the thoughts and compulsions take up uh, up to an hour, uh, no, up an hour or more of your day, and causes you significant distress, then that's when it's classified as a disorder. So some of, the, some of my compulsions that uh, I did were con- continually seeking reassurance from friends 
or mentally reviewing memories as evidence. After about a month or so with these symptoms, I finally plucked up some courage and who better to ask than Dr. Google? Typed it in and in God's provision, I came across an article by a woman who detailed her experiences with OCD. I felt so relieved knowing that uh, I wasn't crazy and I wasn't the only one experiencing this. Um, I probably just had OCD. So uh, I went to see my psych and I told her about my thoughts, which was immensely difficult. Uh, I got some relief from my symptoms uh, and I also learned a heap about my condition. Uh, And God was also so kind in providing me with friends who had also experienced OCD. Unfortunately, due to some external triggers, though, later my symptoms worsened. So with a lot of careful consideration, but also out of necessity, I started medication for my anxiety and OCD. And praise God, it really has changed my life for the better. By God's grace, this first medication worked really well for me, which isn't usually the case for medication for mental illness. After a rough period of adjustment, I started to feel relief from my anxiety and I was able to sleep again. I was emotionally more stable, but more importantly, my thoughts weren't getting stuck in my brain. They would just flow naturally onto the next thought. And I can really happily say that right now I am coping really well with my OCD and anxiety. That's awesome. So you've mentioned God helping you through getting you a diagnosis and some helpful counselling, through finding friends that have also experienced OCD, uh, some helpful medication. But I know you also love the Bible and that there's been scripture that has been particularly a source of comfort for you. Yeah. I think during this time my relationship with God was pretty rocky. I think mental illness sometimes can be a massive barrier to really absorbing God's word and truly cherishing what it means to be loved by God. But again and again during the last two years, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 1 to 10, which is the passage we're looking at today, has been recited to me by friends, by Chris, not that Chris isn't a friend, uh, in my moments of greatest weakness. So I'm really excited to be exploring it together today. I can't say everything on mental health, but since it has been such an encouragement to me, I'm really hoping that the central truth of this passage will also be an encouragement for other people here too. So to get us started, Chris, can you please walk us through what's happened in this book so far to give us a little bit of context going into chapter 12? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're starting a series in 2 Corinthians 1-9 to from next week. So suffice to say for now that Paul has had a tricky relationship with the Corinthian church. More recently, it appears that some Corinthians have started dismissing and even rejecting Paul outright, the one who first told them about Jesus. They've decided that on review now, Paul seems kind of limited, a bit simple, a bit weak. And instead of listening to Paul, now some of the Corinthians want to follow some new teachers who have arrived in their city. And these new teachers seem way more impressive, much stronger. These new teachers undermine Paul and freely boast about their own qualifications. Paul sarcastically starts calling them the the super apostles. But the problem with these super apostles is they don't really love Jesus. And as some of the Corinthians are giving up on Paul, they risk giving up on Jesus too. So at the end of this letter, Paul suggests that if he wanted to boast about his strengths as a servant of Jesus, he'd actually have plenty to say. 
but he doesn't want people to marvel at him because of anything he said or done or any amazing spiritual experience he might have had. Instead, he'd rather boast about his weaknesses. And it sounds so odd. Paul wants to boast not in his achievements, but in his weakness, which now takes us to the heart of the passage. So, Steph, verses 7 and 8, break it down for us. Sure. Uh, Let me read it again for us. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So as Chris mentioned, Paul has lots of things that he could boast in. But at some point in his past, he has had this experience that taught him what's actually worth boasting about. Paul mentions uh, being given a metaphorical thorn in his flesh, some sort of struggle. He describes it as a messenger of Satan that tormented him. It caused him extreme suffering. So whatever this thorn might be, it's causing Paul a lot of anguish, to the point that he pleads with God not once, but three times for him to take it away. Now we tend to think of Paul as someone who is willing to put up with whatever he has dealt from God. But in this instance here, we see him pleading with God. But God doesn't take it away. Paul, a faithful servant of Christ, is making a reasonable request. But Jesus doesn't give him what he asked for. Why? Well, Jesus answers Paul's pleading by saying, My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. After hearing Paul's pleas, Jesus tells him he has already given him everything he needs in his grace. So let's break that down. What is Christ's grace? Jesus is referring to the undeserved kindness he shows everyone who belongs to him. Anyone who chooses to put their trust in Jesus receives his grace, his love, his forgiveness, a relationship with his Father, his Holy Spirit to live in us, comfort us, guide us, strengthen us and empower us. That's Jesus' grace. And as much as Paul might be struggling right now, Jesus wants him to know that that is enough. Then Jesus goes on to elaborate by saying, My power is made perfect in weakness. That sounds crazy, Chris. Can you tell us what Jesus means here? Yeah, I mean, I think it is a confusing and amazing claim. Uh, Jesus says to Paul, My power is made perfect in weakness. My strength is strongest when I work through weakness. We live in a society that shuns weakness and celebrates self-sufficiency. But God takes that idea and he turns it on its head. He chose barren Abraham and Sarah to start a family and a nation. He chose stuttering Moses to speak freedom to Israel in slavery. He chose fearful Joshua to lead an army. He chose the foreigner, Ruth, to show what true faith and devotion looks like. He chose the boy, David, to defeat a giant. He chose the peasant girl, Esther, to stand up for her people. He chose scandal and a manger. He chose a suffering servant. He chose thorns in place of gold. He chose a cross in place of a throne. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. 
God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians another time in 1 Corinthians. That's how God works in our world. That's his pattern. He uses the weak ones, the disregarded ones, the jars of clay, the ones who will depend on him. And in them and through them, he will display his overwhelming strength. And so Paul, taking all that, concludes that if that is really the case, if that is really the case, that when he relies on Christ's strength instead of his own, Christ works even more powerfully, why would he despise his weaknesses? Instead, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Steph, I have found so much comfort in that truth over the years, that in Christ we can find a greater strength than we could ever have on our own. Strength to step out in obedience. Strength to persevere when it's hard. Strength to trust. Strength to forgive, to love, to rejoice, to hope. Christ won't waste my weakness. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Steph, focusing in on mental health. What are some things in this passage that have been encouraging for you that you think might be encouraging for others too? Yeah, uh, the obvious starting place is in Paul's thorn. He doesn't specify what the struggle is, and so many people like to speculate. But, it's, but it makes more sense that he left it unspecified so that we can find comfort as we experience our own thorns. Thorns that would very much include mental health struggles. My experience of mental illness often feels like a thorn. It feels like torment. But if Jesus could use Paul in his weakness, he can use me in mine. Christ won't waste my weakness. What's super cool here is what Satan intends the thorn for versus what God does with it. Satan means for this to torment Paul, and it does. Um, But Jesus tells him that in his weakness, He is actually the strongest. What Satan means for evil, despair, discouragement, God can use for good. And we see this at the cross. Satan intended the cross for defeat. And yet, what seemed like a moment of weakness was actually God's greatest victory. Jesus won't waste your weakness. He'll use it for good. I love that, Steph. Uh, I really do. But... I can imagine people sitting here tonight thinking, I mean, it sounds good, but it's just not believable. I mean, I can't possibly see how God could use my struggle, how he could use my thorns for good. So share with us, how have you seen Christ work through your weakness to do good? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I've looked deeply into this passage and still sometimes I find it hard to believe myself. And the reality is we won't always see what um, what good God is doing in our suffering. But um, I took some time to think about my own experiences and here are some examples of some good that's come out of my mental health struggles. I thought about this and came up with four ways I've been able to see God work for good through my weakness. 
So firstly, it's made me more empathetic. The fact that I've actually been through emotional turmoil and suffering means that when others open up about it, I can empathise and offer some comfort. The second way I've seen God work for good in my mental illness is that it's forced me to be more vulnerable. When I am weak and I can't continue on by myself, I have to open up and let others in so I can lean on them. I think this has also made people around me feel more comfortable about opening about their own struggles too. And thirdly, uh, it's made me more prayerful. When I'm at the end of myself and my thoughts are too horrific to even utter to others, I know I can talk to God about it and know that he still loves me. And the fourth way uh, I've seen God work for good in my mental illness is it has made me more hopeful. On the days when my intrusive thoughts paralyze me or my anxiety takes away all my energy, I yearn for heaven where those who have chosen Jesus will have a new body and a new mind. There'd be no more suffering, no more anxiety, no more OCD. On my worst days, this hope keeps me afloat. And on my better days, this hope is something that I pray those around me see in me and find encouragement from too. So more empathetic, more vulnerable, more prayerful, more hopeful. Mm. I think you could still sort of dismiss that and say that's not a very exciting silver lining. But just like consider that for a moment. I mean, our world doesn't need more apathetic, closed off, self-sufficient, pessimistic or despairing Christians. Like the, the, the impact you can have, I'm so excited to see the impact you can have in the next year over the coming decades because Jesus is already doing that in you. I think that's a, a beautiful thing. But when I look at this passage, I also find comfort in the fact that when Jesus doesn't answer Paul's prayer the way Paul wants. It's not because he's forgotten Paul or that he just doesn't love Paul anymore. Instead, it's because he's going to do something even greater through Paul's weakness than through Paul's strength. One of the things I follow, I struggle with most as a follower of Jesus is unanswered prayer. Now, I bet there's some people here tonight that are maybe thinking, I've been struggling with mental health issues for decades now, not months, or just a few years. And I, I, I feel like that's such a hard space to be in, and you know too well what it feels like to struggle with unanswered prayer. But at least in this case with Paul, we get a little window into what actually might be going on. God hasn't forgotten us. He just wants us to rely more on his grace. He's inviting us to lean on him and discover a greater strength. If we trust in him, Christ won't waste our weakness. He'll use it to lead us closer to him. Yeah, Uh, and that's what I've found throughout my mental health struggles. It's not that they've been easy, and it's not that I'd wish them on anyone else. And sometimes I wish that they'd never even happened to me. But I've seen God's goodness. I've learned, and I'm still learning, more about Christ's strength and grace uh, through this weakness than I would have if he'd just answered my immediate prayer to take it all away. So when we rely on God's strength, not on our own strength, our weakness has value. He can use our weakness to draw us closer to him and he can use our weakness to even draw other people closer to him too. That's what's so crazy and absurd and upside down, but also just so beautiful. That without Christ, 
Our weakness is just weakness. It's torment and it's debilitating. But through Christ's power, when I am weak, then I can be strong. On the days that your depression leaves you feeling like you can't get out of bed, or when your anxiety makes you question every single thing that you do, when your intrusive thoughts make you feel like you're unfit for society, or whatever your thorns may be, cling to this hope. God sees you, God loves you, and God can use you. Christ won't waste your weakness. Christ's power is made perfect in weakness. When we are weak, then we are strong. Let me pray. Lord God, our our hearts are heavy tonight for people that are feeling so weighed down, uh, so tormented by different thorns. We pray tonight particularly for people with different mental health issues that are just so conscious of their own experience of weakness. We pray that these beautiful promises would please be a comfort to them, that you'd be filling them slowly but surely more and more with hope, a hope that this world can't touch. We pray for our our faith community more broadly that we would be a place more and more comfortable with being open and vulnerable and honest with each other, a place where we can share each other's burdens, a place where we can be hopeful for each other when it's really hard and we just want to despair. Oh God, tonight we want to give you thanks so much for Jesus Christ, that he so freely gives his strength when we turn to him. And to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. St. Matt's West Penn Hills 6pm congregation is a collection of people who want to be changed by Jesus to have a deeper connection with God, deeper community with one another and deeper concern for our world. We'd love you to join us on a Sunday soon. For all the details, check out our website at stmats.org.au and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a sermon.